Hello and welcome to The Real Mike Tang Show, episode one. I'm excited to have guest number one here this week. Rocky Pang is in the house. How's it going, Rocky? Uh, pretty good, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> well, it's great to have you um, here. And I just wanted to let our audience um, kind of know the reason behind starting this new podcast here. So my reasoning is I wanted to kind of bring on guests, you know, on a week to week basis, talking about high performers, habit building, and also just some of the hot topics that are discussed out there in society. And I wanted to kind of bring Rocky onto the show as guest number one. I've known him um, ever since our college days. We've been, uh, you know, college roommates um, in the past here. And um, I've always admired, you know, Rocky's journey into, you know, what he does as an occupation and also um, some of his habits that he has developed over time um, here. So Rocky, I just wanted to maybe um, get your sense of your journey here and how you kind of started, you know, being an occupational therapist and um, how did you end up being located where you are today? Well, first of all, Mike, uh, thanks for that, you know, wonderful intro. <laughs> it's pretty humbling to, uh, you know, any, anytime somebody say they admire me, that's, that's not something I really think about, you know, uh, when I go about my, you know, my daily routine, you know, my endeavors, you know, yeah. for me, you know, it's been a long journey since day one and you know, know me since college. Uh, but basically, you know, in my 20s and then also, you know, for most of my 30s, I've been uh, working hard to try to establish myself in my career. Yeah. And as you know, in my 20s, uh, I was a massage therapist first. Uh, and that was really my stepping stone into uh, becoming an occupational therapist. But to even go further before that, I want to talk about what inspired me to become an OT. Um, mm. You know, I first learned about OT through uh, one of my family members who had a, a brain tumor. Oh, and wow. um, at the time, you know, he uh, was pretty devastated by the, uh, the situation medically. And so what happened was that the tumor grew to, a, you know, you know, big enough of a size that they had to uh, have some kind of uh, intervention. And so they had a, mm -hmm. he had an open, you know, brain surgery to uh, go ahead and uh, yeah, evacuate the, the mass in his brain. And so, you know, anytime you have an open head surgery, it's pretty invasive, as you can imagine. And yeah. uh, so coming out of surgery, it almost pretended like he had a, like a massive stroke, you know. Mm -hmm. So half of his body was paralyzed. He wasn't able to walk. You know, we visited him in, wow. in the hospital. And just watching him go through the journey, doing a lot of physical therapy and occupational therapy. And that really put him back on his feet. You know, and coming from somebody that was a, he was an entrepreneur, you know, he owned his own CPA firm. Uh, he was really the head of the family. You know, you think about his role as a, as a man, you know, he took care of his family, you know, all my cousins, my grandmother. He was always just somebody that, that we looked up to as a family. And so to watch somebody, you know, go from that point, you know, to lose his uh, independence overnight not being able to care for himself, not being able to dress himself, go to the toilet, you know, yeah. it's pretty devastating. And so, you know, uh, I'm glad I was able to be exposed, you know, to that whole process. I think that's the first time that, you know, for the first time a light bulb kind of went off in my head. <laughs> I don't know, Mike, if you remember, you know, you ever have that conversation where I felt like it's kind of go through the motion, going through college, right? 
I switched yeah. majors a couple of times. I, I went in as like a CS major, a computer science major, mm-hmm. and then I switched to a business. Eventually, I got a, an advertising degree, right? And I was pretty good yeah. at it at some point. You know, I started dedicating my time. But I couldn't say I had a, like a deep passion about advertising versus uh, OT. I can talk about OT all day. And, and mm-hmm. that really is the difference. And for me, when I saw my uncle go through that whole journey of recovery, yeah, I don't know how I was going to get there. I knew I had to do it. I knew that that, that was it for me, that that was my calling. And so mm-hmm. I had to start over and, um, you know, being that I had zero anatomy background, no biology, yeah. no chemistry, no physiology, I had to start over. And that was a yeah. big decision for me back then because, you know, I was already in my 20s at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, uh, just working a job that I really hated. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't foresee myself sitting at a desk <laughs> answering phone calls, you know, yeah. for, for 95. It just wasn't, I felt like it had to be more. It just <laughs> had to be something, you know, greater than, you know, my, my being on this earth, you know. Yeah. And so for that reason, uh, you know, I started looking into programs and I saw all the prerequisites it took, you know, to become an OT or PT. And, you know, mm-hmm. massage therapy was something that I can jump right into. It was a pretty extensive program for two years, and I just didn't question it. I just signed up, put in the application, and I did it. And uh, and the rest is history. Uh, I had a pretty long journey as a massage therapist as well. Uh, I got exposed to uh, you know you know multiple different settings. Uh, I started off in uh, working at a spa, <laughs> like a luxury spa. Yeah, uh, it's more for like wellness people there mm-hmm. going there for uh, to get pampered basically. <laughs> And then yep. I went from that and I progressed to uh, becoming a, a therapist. I was more uh, in the clinical setting, working alongside chiropractors uh, mm-hmm. and also um, acupuncturists. Also an intern at, a, at the Michigan State uh, Football Center. So, you know, I was working on uh, Kirk Cousins, <laughs> some of the uh, oh, wow. uh, Michael Dell, some of the athletes are like, you know, yeah. in the NCAA level. So I was like, wow, you know, it's opening up so many doors. You know, yeah. even though I knew OOT was my end goal, I enjoyed that journey like coming up as a massage yeah. therapist as well. Even though I knew that wasn't that wasn't it, that was only a big stepping stone to get to where I am today. Um, yeah, and I also think that um, you enjoying the process of occupational therapy probably helped propel you into kind of moving forward uh, with your career um, there. And I, and I also like that you mentioned you, you started doing something in relation to um, your college degree at first, but at the same time, you knew you didn't enjoy it, right, mm-hmm. for those first several years. And you were able to kind of get up and reinvent yourself right. in like your mid to late 20s. And you were able to kind of um, take action into doing something that you were probably passionate about. And I think a lot of people, they get stuck thinking that they have to keep doing this thing that they hate. But in, in realization, you can always kind of change your life cycle. You could always change what you're doing at any time, but it's really like your mindset and how you look at things. Because people think, oh yeah, I'm way too old to reinvent myself or change my career. Mm-hmm. But all reality, I think it's, a lot of that is, is fear-based in which they are very fearful in making changes. They're very fearful of, you know, trying to change their career. So I think that's, 
I think that that's really admirable that you're able to realize that fairly quickly and able to take action to make changes. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate that. And uh, I can tell you, it wasn't an easy decision, and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't um, wasn't smooth sailing. I can tell you that. Yeah. And also, I like what you said. And also, you know, not only just the fear, but also I think uh, people have tendency to compare themselves to others. You know, yeah. oh, you know, by the time I'm, you know, at the time I was like, you know, 27, 28, all the people are already established where I, was, I feel like I'm like starting over at that time. Yeah. And it's really depressing, you know, especially, you know, in the medical field, it's starting to be, be more and more competitive. And yeah. so it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a sure ticket to get to that point, you know what I mean? So I had to apply for the schools. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's one thing to know that, okay, if I'm gonna put into work, I draw all the plans and that, you know, I'm gonna get accepted, 100% I'm gonna get accepted, then okay. That's, this takes a lot of anxiety out of it, you know, but it wasn't like that at all. I can tell you mm-hmm. for OT, it was pretty competitive and even more so now, now that people are starting to understand what uh, occupational therapy entails and what a great and rewarding career it is. I can tell you, um, you know, after doing all the prerequisites, you know, doing my massage program and then getting some work experience, you know, as a massage therapist, as a hands-on, you know, clinical therapist, it was like, you know, five, six years in the making before I even got to become an OT. And I can tell you the first year I applied for OT, I didn't get in. I applied to dozens of schools and uh, this is one rejection letter after another. And wow. that, that was a tough time in my life because I was like, man, so I put in all these years, so all these like, time, money invested. Mm-hmm. Never, never mind the money. Money, you can make it back, right? But those years, you don't get back. You know, those, those years, I yeah. actually decided, okay, I'm going to do something, you know, with my life. I'm going to make some, somebody of myself. And then to just get, you know, slap in the face with these rejection letters over and over, you got to start questioning, like, you know, maybe it was too late for me, you know, maybe I missed my calling. That, that's, yeah. that's truly how I felt. And so I went from that to like, you know, to be able to uh, get back to the drawing board. I did a lot of self-reflection. It's like, I was like, okay, let's go back and see where I messed up, see where I could have uh, have some uh, opportunities for improvement. I went back, you know, and took the GREs, you know, the board exam to try to get a better score. You know, I uh, just scrapped my, uh, <laughs> my cover letter, my uh, application letter and just started start from scratch, you know and try to take another approach, you know, so putting in, you know, basically I'm doubling down at this point. Right. <clears throat> so at that point, I don't even know, I didn't even know if I was going to make it because I hear stories all the time that people get rejected second time around, third time around. Some people mm-hmm. just never get it. You know, it's not an easy journey. Yeah. And, and that's the part. It's easy for me to say all this now, Mike, uh, I haven't really talked about his journey until much recently, just because, I feel more established now where I'm at. I feel yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. I feel more confident and competent that I'm able to look back and reflect on my journey. But man, at that point, I really was really depressed because I was like, okay, what, what am I going to do if I get rejected a second time? I had other options and, you know, maybe yeah. continue with the massage thing and then have my own business essentially. Because uh, I knew, I knew I wasn't just going to be a massage therapist and nothing wrong with being a massage therapist, right? But I knew I want to do something greater, make a bigger impact. And using the skills that I acquire, I want to scale it. Scale it. I felt like I want to do something bigger, right? So no matter what. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what profession you're in. I always say, do the best of your ability. You know, try to master your craft. 
Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, you know, and finally, thankfully, I got in there the, the second time. And uh, mm-hmm. I tell you what, my even after getting accepted and starting the actual program itself, the, I, I thought that, that <laughs> the application process was hard. Oh, man, I think it was yeah. even more difficult going through the program just because I think not that I was that old, but compared to some of my mm-hmm. colleagues, my, my classmates, a lot of them were fresh out of college. They're 21, 22 year olds. I was sitting alongside with them uh, in the classroom and I can just tell, you know, that they were just a lot sharper, a lot quicker to uh, absorb the material. Yeah. And it's true. You know, when they say talk about the human brain, they study the human brain. It's like the younger you are, the more plastic it is. Right. The, the more you're able yeah. to obtain new information. So for me, it was like, that's another challenge I had to face was that. So, okay. It, it took them, you know, an hour to get this material. It might take me double that time or maybe triple. Mm-hmm. And so that's another uh, test to my character, I think. Uh, it's like, okay, it's like pull up or shut up time. Are you going to do this or not? Because I'm just investing all this money and time into this new massive program. Uh, failure was, wasn't an option, you know. And I think one of the hardest things I had to do in my life was that uh, uh, the first class I took was a uh, human anatomy. And so mm-hmm. the basis of that class is you have to memorize all the body systems about you know 600 something muscles in the body i had to memorize it all like the origin insertion attachments you know the the nerve to innervate that specific muscle every single one i had to remember and then recite it on the on the test every week and that's a lot of information i had to obtain you know this is that's something i wasn't used to you know i think uh, medicine uh, that's why anybody in the medical profession i have so much respect for just because you had to go through this process to learn the human body, right? And yeah, I just felt like by second week, I can tell you right now, that's another hurdle I had to jump over. By the second week in that class, I was I was not passing. I was not having a passing score in the overall uh, yeah. class. And the program director actually emails me, <laughs> and she was like, you know, hello, Rocky, are you okay? Do you need some help? You know, what can I do for you? And that, that was another wake-up call. I was like, man, <laughs> can you imagine, you know, after, you yeah. know, being rejected from the program and finally actually getting into the program. And then my first class, I was about to flunk out. And so that was another, yeah. uh, another fire lit under my ass. <laughs> Basically, I had to make a choice. Okay, it's pull up a shove, it's do or die, you know, for my career. And mm-hmm. I, I did the calculation. Pretty much I had to pass every single test from there on out with 99% in order to just pass. That, that's how bad I was doing, yeah. right? And so yeah. that weekend I went home, I just like, just couldn't sleep. I was like, man, this mm-hmm. there's got to be something I, I can do, you know? Oh, there's got to be some drastic changes I have to make. And so what I did was uh, I didn't have any uh, real plan. I just knew I had to put more time in. That That's the minimum I should be doing, right? So yeah. So from there on out, you know, every single day I went to uh, – to class, even before the lab was even open, I was outside waiting. Lab opens at around 7 a.m. I was there at 6 a.m., you know, going into the cadaver lab to study every single muscle and just beating my head over, you know, with the flashcards, just, uh, yeah. you know, forcing that material into my head. And I just did that over and over. I was the first to be at the lab, last to leave. I was like at like 11 p.m. at night when they finally shut the doors. I was in there. Uh, I was getting tutoring. I was paying extra money for tutoring. I was doing all that to, just to cram all the information in. I knew I had to do it. There's no other option, you know. And I had so many people that believed in me, you know, my family, 
right? Everybody that is rooting for me, I feel like I would let them down if I did not pass that course. And so, you know, long story short, I was able to pass every single test from there on with flying colors, almost 100%, 99.9%. And wow. I think I'm kind of glad it went that way because it really it was a, a test to myself. Like, okay, I really want this, <laughs> you know, even though it's outside of my comfort zone, you know, I wouldn't consider myself uh, somebody that's street smart or like a book smart. I'm more like street smarter than anything else. <laughs> so this is something new right. for me. You know, I had to really uh, learn from others who, uh, who've been, you know, 4.0 students. I was like, hey, you know, what is your strategy? What do you have to do? And they, they'll give me some tactics. Like if you have to record every single lecture and then, you know, you got to be like eating and sleeping, <laughs> you know, this material in order for you to truly comprehend, you know, the, the material. I think that's part of my success is like being able to be so obsessed with the material. I think uh, yeah. without that obsession, you're just not going to cut it in the medical field. Um, and so I think just being persistent, also this failure not being an option. You know, I mm -hmm. talked about taking the rejection from the school. I mean, I, I kind of hop over the hurdle, right? And then, you know, yep. passing this class. From there on out, after that, passing that anatomy class, I can tell you nothing could stand in my way after that. <laughs> I felt like I, I can tackle the world, you know, just putting in the hard work and just never giving up. It didn't matter if I wasn't as sharp as some of these kids, you know, that I was sitting right. next to me. I felt like, you know, even with that handicap, I feel like it doesn't matter. You know, if I can outwork everybody else, I, I can at least keep up with them. That's how I felt. Yeah, and I think I'm 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 glad that you mentioned that um, you kind of dealt with failure um, to start the program off here. And I think the number one thing people have to realize is that they have to ask themselves maybe what is the one thing that I can control mm -hmm. right now, and from what you can control at the time was putting more time in instead of maybe just dwelling and feeling sorry for yourself. There, you you decided to take action and tell yourself you know what i'm gonna just outwork everyone here i'm gonna come in early i'm gonna be the last one out but i'm gonna do the best i can and you probably even thought to yourself well even if i try the hardest and i fail that's okay because at least i try mm -hmm. right right and that i think that like can resonate with a lot of people because even throughout these times you know people have lost their jobs you know they're maybe have to go deep into their savings and they're broke or something or they're unemployed. But I think I have to remind people that you got to tell yourself, what is the one thing that I can control mm -hmm. today or tomorrow? And how can I win the day right now here? So, you know, that, that, that's just, um, that just, it just built your character. And I think that you mentioned, that you wouldn't change anything that has happened mm, in the past no. in terms of all the failures that you have gone through because it actually builds you up for the future. So then when you do face hardships, now you can always reflect back on, you know, all the bad stuff that has happened and you know that you can jump through that. <clears throat> yeah, that's such a great point. You know, I think uh, I've always been a pretty independent person, you know, as an immigrant growing up in the States. I didn't really have a lot of friends growing up because it was hard for me to assimilate to the culture, the language. It took me a while. And uh, there was a lot of time during my childhood where I spent being alone by myself. 
I had like one other best friend, but that's it. You know, I didn't really, I wasn't, was not the popular kid in the school. I can tell you that, <laughs> but you know, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, looking back now, I feel like as an adult, that's paying dividends, just being uh, able to uh, have that time to myself and self-reflect, you know, coping with the loneliness, but at the same time, being able to meditate and clear my mind from all the distractions, you know, cause you know, you can have all the yeah. support around you, whether it's from family, friends, you know, they can cheer you on or whatever, right? But at the end of the day, you know, the destiny's in your hands. You have to be the one to execute, right? I had to be the one to be in that classroom and take that test and perform at that test. And so, you know, once I found some success and I got some momentum, I, I felt like, you know, I can conquer the world from there. Uh, nothing can stop me. And there wasn't anything that I cannot obtain or learn. I think uh, in this day and age with technology, it's so easy to learn, right? You know, I mean, you and I are about the same age. You know, we're old enough to remember that yeah. when we need to look up some material, we got to go down to the library, right? <laughs> look up the index card and find that book. Yeah. And even then, the materials are already outdated, right? Whereas now, it's just yeah. like... Yeah, those big encyclopedias oh, and everything, you know? So, you know, like now, it's like information is a couple of clicks away. Like, we have no, literally have no yeah. excuses to learn a new skill. Especially during this pandemic, you know, we have all this time, all this time on our hands and... You can either to just relax and lounge around or you can do something productive, you know, uh, and I, I chose the latter. I think, um, yeah, you know, just with the OT thing, I just so obsessed with it because, you know, based on my story, you can tell that, that really saved my life. Because I don't know if what I would be doing now if I wasn't an OT, you know, in the massage business, you know, they're hard hit by the pandemic. I feel so sorry for, for these uh, yeah. people there in, in that industry right now. And so I'm lucky, you know, mm-hmm. people say, oh, how are you doing, Rocky? You know, I know you're doing, dealing with the COVID-19 scare and all this. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I'm blessed every day being able to go to work and uh, not just have a paycheck, but also, you know, being able to help uh, somebody else get back on their feet and to be get home, to be able to get home after the injury or having a heart attack, stroke, whatever it is. Um just being able to apply my skills to change your lives, you know, from, from one human to another, that really is what it is to be able to uh, change somebody's life for the better. Um, and I, I can tell you, uh, you know, an inspiration I have from one of my patients recently, and he just uh, recently discharged. So this man has some kind of uh, disease where it caused him to be completely blind for the past two or three years. So he cannot mm-hmm. see anything at all. And throughout the pandemic, I think uh, what people don't realize is that people have become sedentary. They, they don't exercise enough. They don't go to the doctor for the regular checkups. So a lot of people have some other comorbidities that became exacerbated from the pandemic, from being sedentary. And so with this particular gentleman, he had a stroke, like a massive stroke, where uh, he lost feeling and control of one part of his body, his left arm and his left uh, leg, you know. And so usually, and I do a lot of uh, stroke rehab in what I do, and it's one of my favorite uh, areas of rehab is uh, the neuro recovery. Usually when someone have a stroke, they lost the ability to use their hands, they can use their visual eyesight to compensate, to see what they're doing with their hand. Okay, am I, is, are my fists open or closed? Am I moving my arm up or down? You know what I mean? They, they can use that visual compensation to get that function to return. You know, if you don't use it, you're going to lose yeah. it, right? You're going to neglect that entire side. Yeah. But this particular gentleman had no eyesight whatsoever and had no feeling. He had no idea. So can you imagine like 
you know, tonight, if you have time, you know, just try to walk around your house. And this is something I did when I went home that day after seeing him. I wanted to put myself in his shoes. So I blindfolded myself and then try to feel around, you know, my condo using only my, my right arm. And yeah. <laughs> I was walking with a limp, you know, just kind of emulate, you know, his situation. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, within, within two steps, I was, I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is like, yeah. I can't believe he's going through this right now. And it's permanent. I have the luxury of just opening my eyes and all, all as well. Right. And so, you know, long story short, and I was with that gentleman for about a couple of weeks and I made him make such, you know, great progress. You know, he listened to my instructions and it wasn't that easy in the beginning because he has all this anxiety about what's going on. So he was freaked out, right? He, he lost complete feeling of one side of his body while being blind yeah. and being able to uh, care mm-hmm. for himself. Oh man, the, the, the drive and determination of the gentleman, that that's something I could really take away. I was like, man, what, what's my excuse? If he, he is going through this without his eyesight, you know? And this guy is still working, by the way. He, he's a real yeah. realtor. He's a real estate, you know, business. He's able wow. to, you know, go online. You know, he talks to Siri all the time <laughs> with the assistive technology. He's able to find me a home mm-hmm. and tell me a, a good price. So he actually uh, got his realtor yeah. license after he uh, lost his, lost his uh, eyesight. Isn't that amazing? Like, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what other yeah. handicap do we have? Right. I'm healthy. I got all my limbs, all control of my, you know, four extremities. I'm able to have my eyesight. I literally have no excuse to not better myself as a person. It doesn't matter what area of life I'm talking about. Right. And so. So the takeaway point is you never give up. There's always a way to adapt to the situation, no matter what life throws at you. That's always a way. I I think. you know, as human beings, you know, we, we get complacent sometimes. We, we um, tend to, uh, we're our own worst enemy. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, I know you mentioned um, a lot about the, no, you know, never give up mentality um, here. And you also mentioned uh, meditation briefly as well. But is there maybe another habit that you've either learned throughout the years or that you've adapted um, recently to be the high performer that you are today? Um, I don't know if I would call it a habit, but it's more like another obsession of mine is like just to be uh, perfect at whatever I do. I think no matter what I do, I yeah. want to try to do the best of my ability and give it my 110%. Um, and a lot of my influence comes from... Uh, you know, I would say the Japanese culture, you know, I spent some time in Japan a couple of years ago and I just, uh, I was always been so inspired by the Japanese people and the way they uh, try to achieve that perfection, whether it be uh, like an automaker like Lexus or Toyota, they try to make the perfect car that's reliable, you know, doesn't have any um, issues in the long run. Well, uh, I also watched a documentary on uh, the sushi documentary, what's it called, uh, Jiro? Dreams of Sushi. You, you ever watch that yeah. one? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of good good reviews uh-huh. about that show. Or uh, <laughs> you know, just you know, going uh, around Japan and eating all the good food and uh, you know places that make the perfect bowl of ramen, and you just see the the, the detail. It's like the overkill detail that they put into a, a meal. Essentially, just a bowl of noodles, right? But they leave like no stones unturned. They mm-hmm. just like perfect the entire experience, and they turn it the whole thing into an experience. It's not just uh, 
it's not just a meal to them. It's not just about, you know, filling your stomach with some food and call it a day. They, they take everything so seriously. And uh, I'm really inspired by that. And for that reason, I like going to uh, a lot of the fine dining, the fine dining restaurant, the Michelin star restaurants. They really pay attention to detail, right? And I, I've observed, you know, over uh, dozens of restaurants I've been to, you know, if you have a left-handed person to walk in, you know, they, they, they see that. They, they notice those little details. And the next time they set your utensil down, they put it on your left-hand side. You know, something, something so minute and they'll pay attention to that. And I try to apply that to my work, you know. For example, you know, for my patients, you know, let's say they lost the function on the one side, on the right side, right, after having a stroke. Yeah. Then I know to put the utensil on the left side. <laughs> I try to uh, put the, the call button on the left <laughs> side. Um, so in, in that setting, it's not just a luxury, it's a necessity. It's mandatory that you accommodate to their needs. Because otherwise, you know, you want to facilitate that process, the healing process, so then they can get home. So then they can uh, be motivated to work yeah. and get better. Um, I think, um, you know, when I meditate, I think about these things and how, how I can apply, you know, what people do in their own, own craft, how, how they master their own craft and I apply to OT because I want to be a master in OT and master of my craft. And mm -hmm. part of that is going to take, you know, a lot of uh, reading, reading, you know, the most updated literature, um, you know, taking continued education and just try to stand out from the rest, you know, try to achieve uh, multiple certifications in areas of my interests. In my case, it would be a neuro, neuro rehab. Um, I think aside from, you know, try to be uh, perfect, you also have to work on your self-care too, because, you know, you work so hard in this profession. If you don't do any self-care, you're going to burn out. You know, so yeah, uh, I tend to do a lot of splurging on my lifestyle, <laughs> whether it be, uh, and I'll be honest too, I, I could be pretty materialistic sometimes. I, I, li I like nice things. I like enjoying, you know, mm -hmm. uh, nice uh, trips overseas, try to experience, you know, another yeah. new culture and also splurging on um, giving back to charity. I, I think that's important too. Once you become uh, pretty successful, you have some some pretty, uh, you know, generous income. I think it is good to give back to the community. Because um, once you taste a good life, you, you want to share that with others. I think that's also important. Because um, uh, I feel like money, money is something that people, they kind of, they kind of shy away from talking about money, right? They always say, oh, you know, money is the root of all evil. You know, you shouldn't just chase after money. I, I don't really believe that. Uh, I feel like money is a way to freedom. Money is a way to uh, open up a lot of doors for you. And money is a way to allow you to mm -hmm. help others, whether it be just giving like a free meal to a homeless guy down the street that you saw or, you know, donating to a natural charity. You, you need money for all that, right? I mean, let, let's just be honest about that, right? And so I feel like not having money, not having money is the root of all evil. You know what I mean? I don't know how you feel about this, Mike. Like, yeah. you know, family dramas, friends dramas, they, they argue over money. A lot of the time is, is rooted from not having money. So so it's not not the money is the root of all evil. It's not, have, not having that money. I think that's the root of all evil. Yeah, and I think there's a typical saying out there that mentions um, it's actually more painful not having money as opposed to having too much money, right? You know, even if you have too much money, it's not going to solve all your problems, sure. but you're going to 
also not have those issues that you mentioned, which is, you know, fights about how to live, you know, how am I going to put food on the table um, there? And I think like most relationships or marriages, they actually, they're decided over money. That's the number one deciding factor. And the number one thing that uh, couples really argue about is, you know, is, is really over money and everything. And that's why people get divorced at such a high rate mm -hmm. um, here too. Um, I kind of wanted to shift our conversation um, here mm. to mentorship, Rocky. And I know that you pride yourself in surrounding, um, surrounding your inner circle with like successful people and things like that. But what are like your thoughts on mentorship and, you know, possibly guiding, um, some of your friends, current friends or co-workers into career so success? So I think uh, being an OT, I think it's pretty natural for me to become a mentor to somebody else. Just because you think about what we do as OTs, we're essentially a coach for the patients, mm -hmm. right? You know, the patients, they come in here, we give them the guidance. You know, I can show them the door on how to get better, but they themselves, they have to walk through that door. They, they have to execute, they have to do the exercises themselves. Yeah. I think that one of the most important thing is... Uh, you know, just try to set some short attainable goals, realistic goals for them to achieve. And uh, that's a term in OT that we call the uh, the just right challenge, like just right. So whatever activity or exercise I give them, it has to be just mm -hmm. right. Where, you know, you don't want to make it too easy for them because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of doing something easy? Uh, you want to do something that challenge them uh, in terms of the, the physical skill, mental skill, whatever it is. Um, but you don't want to make it so difficult that they, they struggle so much that they get frustrated and they, they, they just end up giving up, right? And so it has to be just right. Whatever activity I elect to give them, it has to be just right. So that's a just right challenge. Um, just setting the attainable goals and keep them accountable. Uh, it's interesting you asked me this question because uh, coming up this month, uh, I'll be taking a new student. Uh, they'll be shadowing me for the next uh, three months. Uh, it's my first time, um, you know, taking a, like a long-term student. Uh, I've taken a lot of students in the past, but it's really yeah. short term. It's only about four to five weeks or so. Um, so this time it'll be uh, somebody that'll be following me every single day. And uh, the way I'm going to approach it will be the same way. Uh, I'll set them, you know, some attainable goals week by week, sometimes a day by day. Um, and it has to be attainable. And I also keep them accountable. By the end of the week, I, I intend to uh, sit down with that person and, um, you know, to talk about, you know, where we fell short, talk about, you know, things that we accomplished. I think it's important to stay positive no matter what. Um, even I, I don't like to use the word failure because I think that's more like an opportunity to get better, uh, especially given my background I mentioned earlier, right? You know, there's no such thing as failure, just a learning experience. So that next time you, you reattempt that same activity or whatever it is, you, you're no longer starting from scratch because you had that experience of, uh, you know, falling short maybe. And that's okay. As long as we're, you know, going in the, in the positive direction, I think um, that that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Um, and I think also just being humble as a mentor, you know, I'm also learning constantly. I think uh, anybody, you ask anybody in the medical profession, nobody stops learning. Every day I learn something new and I try to, uh, I, I do keep like a small journal at work. You know, I, I like to write down what I accomplished that week. If it's been a while since I wrote in the journal, I, I know I'm slacking. <laughs> I feel like I need to keep myself accountable as well. Um, but uh, I think just being humble and uh, 
also being honest to the person I'm mentoring, hey, you know, I might have more experience than you, so I can save you a lot of time, you know, and then tell you how to proceed to whatever you're trying to achieve. But, but listen, I'm trying to learn also, you know, so we're all in this journey together. We're all on the same corner. Um, but yeah, I think um, those are good. Uh, it's a good uh, blueprint to follow, you know, just uh, upgrading up and down constantly. If something becomes too, too hard, try to come back down, go to go back down to the basics for a little bit before, um, before trying to do something more, you know, complicated. Uh, it's like, you know, Bruce Lee like to say, right. <laughs> you know, for the, I, I do a lot of, um, you know, martial arts back in the day. Uh, one of the things that's most inspiration to me is Bruce Lee. He, he said one thing, I'd rather, you know, be real good at one, one kick versus, you know, just being, you know, mediocre at uh, all these other kicks. Right. And that, I think that's so true. You want to master your foundation before, you know, try to branch out and become diluted in your skills. You know, you want to have a good foundation first before you talk about, um, yeah. you know, becoming something else and, and try to branch out. Yeah, and I also think that when you mentor someone, you also learn the same thing two or three times yourself because you're able to take in the information. Mm -hmm. And then when you teach someone that information, you're actually comprehending all that information right, exactly. three, four or five times yourself there. So you actually become more, more versed in your field when you're actually you know, taking someone on as a mentor and also guiding them. Um, there, so it's been what two weeks, a couple weeks since um, you've uh, t taken on. The it's, com it's coming up. I'm doing my preparation uh, for it now. Started. Yeah, but you absolutely, you oh, absolutely okay. uh, right on. Okay, uh, you know, um, they they say that uh, you know when you master something, well, to prove that you have mastered in material, you have to be able to teach it or give a lecture on it. Otherwise, you you yeah. might know it maybe fifty percent. <laughs> But you have to you have to be able to. Uh, yeah, they say uh, not only know the material, but be able to articulate it and teach it back to another person using layman's terms. If you couldn't do that, then then you don't truly know your material. That, that that's what they say. Yeah, and I believe that. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to uh, talk about um, another subject here, and it's something I think that you've kind of taken on. Um, fairly recently yourself, and that's mm -hmm. going to be about investing um, here. What is like an area in investing that you're currently curious um, about right now? Anything, really. <laughs> anything that can make money, really. Um, I think uh, it goes mm -hmm. back to my, um, I always have like an entrepreneur mindset where I feel like just a nine to five job is not going to, is not going to pay, pay the bills, really. Uh, especially living in this state, right, of California, I think um, a lot of young people like myself, we find it very difficult to uh, just to survive. You know, you, we're at an age where we talk about having a mortgage. You know, you have to have all these uh, expenses that it, it just adds up. By by the end of the month, you feel like you don't have any savings left. Yeah. And so I always felt like that's got to be something more. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the best. One of the best book I read was, you know, you, you might have read this one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read that in my 20s. And I, I tell you that that's one of my most, most life-changing books. <laughs> it's such a simple book, but it really, you know, 
it opens up a whole new light on how, how to think about money, right? They're just uh, looking at assets versus liabilities. You know, you want to invest in anything that can become a, a money tree, essentially, right? You want to make use yeah. of the internet to make some passive income. But because let's be honest, time is money. You know, like I said before, money, money, you can make it back if you lose it. But time is something you cannot get back. And so, so over the years, I've done a lot, uh, a lot of, uh, <laughs> I guess you would say different odd jobs or businesses, if you will. You know, I went from, um, you know, flipping furniture on Craigslist. I used to buy f- uh, furniture on Craigslist, you know, beat up furniture. I don't even buy them. A lot of them, I go to the free, the free section <laughs> where people just throw away the furniture. And a lot of them, I, you know, they look pretty good, good mm-hmm. condition. And I would bring them home and sand it down, repaint it, and I, I flip it for money. And people buy them, man. I, I made a lot of money doing that. Yeah. Um, I had an online pet shop. Wow. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this one. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, I was, um, you know, basically just like what the pet shops would do. They would, you know, purchase the puppies and then train them, you know, potty train them, you know, get them to be more well-behaved. You know, things that new, you know, puppy owners, they don't want to go through the hassle of. <laughs> and so, you know, I got pretty good at that. So I applied the skill. So then, I, then I'll charge a premium for that, and I, I make the profit from that. And then, so ran from that to um, also had a massage business at one point, a like really small massage business, where um, you know I had a small office at a location. I made money from that, um, and then mo- most recently, you know, I did a lot of uh, home health as an OT. I manage a. Uh, you know, I have OT assistants mm-hmm. working for me. I'll basically see the, the patient the first time just to formulate a plan, write out some goals, and then the OT assistants will, will see that patient for me and I'll collect, you know, some income. Every time the assistants, you know, see uh, see the patient, every visit I, I get an income. So I'm making money in my sleep, essentially, once I set that up, right? And so that's a lot of opportunities. It's kind of nice uh, as an OT that opens up so many other doors. It's not just, you know, working at a hospital you know, just clock in, clock out. I mean, it's nice, it's pretty uh, generous income, but also I felt like I could do more, I, I could do more, you know, side projects like that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, most recently uh, I got into stocks quite a bit just because that's always something I've been interested in and never really got a chance to learn. Um, with the pandemic, with all the extra time, I feel like I, I need to learn a new skill and I, I decided to finally look into the stock market um and i'll be honest too i didn't read a single book on investing it's all from what i learned from youtube and there's a lot of good material out there you know mm-hmm. people that spend the time they make the powerpoints and actually teach you all the fundamentals on, on how to trade it's pretty amazing that it's, it's, you don't have to pay for this material <laughs> i think people pay thousands of dollars to, to get into a finance program of some kind to learn investing right again you know the youtube the internet uh, there's a wealth of information out there and I think it's too bad to not take advantage of that, that information. Um, but with that, you know, obviously we have to be careful just because, you know, everybody's doing the, <laughs> the investing videos, right? There's a lot of noise, a lot of uh, videos that are clickbaits. Yeah. You know, every video is, oh, you're going to, you know, 50 times your money or whatever. <laughs> you, just being able to, uh, you know, sort out and uh, filter out the nonsense and trying to decipher myself, you know, what is legitimate, what, what is just a clickbait. I think potentially you can lose a lot of money if you click on the wrong video <laughs> and take the wrong advice. 
Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, clickbait information out there. They have like a little picture that kind of entices you to go click on that YouTube video thinking mm -hmm. that you're going to get rich really quick um, here. But in all essence, they're probably just trying to maybe sell you something or try to sell you some sort of service that they think they can get you to buy. Um, mm -hmm. But there's definitely a lot of information, like you mentioned. Uh, I just think that people need to put in the effort and actually want to go on to those videos and learn here. And that's usually mm -hmm. the first step, I feel like. Um, you kind of talked about stock investing um, here and, you know, learning yourself, you know, through YouTube videos. But um, are there any challenges that you have faced in the market, you know, most recently that you may want to kind of let our audience? I think that goes back to, um, you know, the echo chamber, the, the echo chamber that's, that is YouTube. You know, whenever there's a new penny stock or something that's up and coming, like you probably hear about this too, right? The most recent one with the mm -hmm. CCIV, right? The, the new, supposed to be the new Tesla, right? Every video is saying, ah, you know, buy it now, you're going to 10 times your money. And, but in reality, you know, the merger hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> and everybody's putting in all this money, you know, investing in it. They're betting their life savings. I can say the same about, you know, cryptocurrency, right? There's been a lot of noise about, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin, yeah. everybody's banning the farm, but, you know, and I, I mean, I have a little position in it, you know, and uh, I can tell you, I recently sold out my position just because mm -hmm. I watched this thing, you know, from early last year until now, recently just gone, you know, parabolic. I think I, I made like, like 500% or something and it's starting to go parabolic. And then every yeah. video out there now is like, yeah, you know, buy now it's going to the moon, you know, it's going to be the next Bitcoin. It's like, Okay, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what is the evidence? Where is the evidence? Because I try to operate my life based on evidence, right? <laughs> Especially as, a, as an OT, as a medical person. If there's yeah. no evidence, there's no real like catalyst of why I'm going to put more money in. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. And maybe, may, maybe you know, they get lucky and this thing does go to the moon <laughs> and I went ahead and cash out. Maybe I missed out on that. But hey, to, to me, I'm okay with that because I know, you know, for me, I, I try to go for the more sure, sure place. I, I don't need to hit a home run. I just need, I just need to make a little bit of money, you know, here and there and chip away at it. At least I know it's safe. At least I know, you know, the probability of, um, you know, you know, not losing money is, it, it's just a safer bet to uh, cash out when you're up. You know, like I say, you, you don't, you don't get that. You don't see that profit until you hit the sale button. Right. So, I don't know. I think uh, the right. challenge is just try to uh, filter out all the fake news, all the echo chamber, all the noise out there and try to be objective and try to leave your emotions out of it. I, I think that's pretty in line with my personality. Uh, I think I have always been a pretty uh, objective person. Uh, I think uh, part of me being an independent person growing up, I, I don't really feel like I, I need to go along with the crowd. Right. I don't need to go with the masses. I mean, I don't need to be accepted <laughs> by, by, by my peers, right? I feel like I need to do what's good for myself. Because at the end of the day, I have to live with the consequences. If I were to take a risk like that, like what I mentioned with the CCIV, then, you know, I, I, have, to take, I have to take responsibility. If I lose money, that's my money. That's not anybody else's money, right? No, nobody's going to pay my bills. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard. It's hard to right. not, you know, go with the masses, go with the massive influence because uh, some days I question myself like, man, 
am I crazy to be the only one not to not feel this way? It's like I'm feeling I'm, I'm going up against a tidal wave, right? Yeah. Um, it, it can drive me crazy sometimes. But mm-hmm. I think um, it's important to uh, have my own values and morals as an individual. That's something that my parents always taught me is that, you know, uh, I mean, they, they simplify it too, right? They say, if everybody wants to jump off the building, you're going to do it. You know, you know <laughs> like they, they like to say that when I was younger. And looking back at it now, it's, it's so true, you know. Everybody gamble on this one play, you know. Are you going to do it? And may, maybe, may, maybe you're wrong and everybody else is correct, mm-hmm. right? And then the upside is, you know, the, the, the stocks blow up. But what's the downside? The downside is re- very uh, sobering, right? Well, once you once you make a speculative play, right? Like right. That. So, I think um, yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges to try to uh, think for myself and, and try to be objective, lead the emotions out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to really analyze. I think uh, that really forced me to learn the market structure. Uh, you know, reading the balance sheets. You know, the company operations, learning the company. Um, I think it's important to also, uh, even though I, I don't like the clickbait videos, I, I still watch them because I like to think, uh, I like I to know, you know, what's in the minds of these other investors that are, that are watching these videos. Because let's be honest, in some of these videos getting tens of thousands of views, they, they have an influence in the, in the young traders, mm-hmm. especially everybody's on Robinhood now, right? It's crazy that, you know, one video from me, Kevin, you know, or whoever. Yep. People buy into to what he's doing. They, they, they try to emulate. They want to be like him because they idolize him. And but for me, I'm like, okay, I, I still gotta, you know, hit the bricks a little bit. I still gotta analyze the whole situation, just because this is famous YouTube star, you know, make that play. Listen, this guy, you know, has like millions of views, you know, any given day. You know, he makes so much uh, money just from YouTube. He he can afford to lose that money. I I can't, <laughs> right? And so that, that's what people kind of right. uh, skip over, unfortunately. Yeah. And I advise, you know, the younger investors to uh, just watch out. Just, just have a mind of your own. Don't don't go with the hype. Try try to do your own research. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, you talked about kind of like our parents giving us some, you know, very wise um, advice throughout the years here. Um, but at the same time, you know, that generation and our parents, they taught us mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. kind of play it safe in a sense, growing up and putting everything in a savings account. Do you think like the modern era and this new generation, do you think they're more educated in applying investments to grow their savings? Or do you think they still kind of have that same mindset when we were growing up as I well? I think from what I'm seeing recently, I, I feel like, there's a lot of more young investors in the game uh, than ever before. I think with the rise of the internet, YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, I can imagine, you know, trading back then before the internet, before YouTube, it's a lot more difficult, right? To get in, you kind of have to be like in the industry, in the finance industry to even talk about getting involved. There was a point in time when people were, they do live person trading. They actually, you know, standing on the floors on, on uh, uh, Wall Street, you know, with a bunch of papers, like physical papers, analyzing the charts where we have the luxury of just all these apps, right? We can do one Google search and we can bring up the chart, look at the entire company, yeah. all the information that's needed. And I feel like uh, this younger generation is a lot more tech savvy in that sense. You know, you think about 
a lot of uh, mm-hmm. I mean I didn't I didn't grow up really playing any video games that that was not allowed in my household but I know a lot of people do they grew up playing you know Nintendo PlayStation all this RPG whatever and um, you know like it or not whether you um, you know think those games are productive or not it really exercises your, your mind right even if it's to, to just level up in the game right to, to be able to uh, you know try to move up level up by um, you know, obtaining certain items, achieving certain levels in the game. And the stock market is no different. This is a bunch of analysis of the companies, the numbers. And that's partly what got me so excited into learning because in my mind, I feel like, like I mentioned earlier in my story, I said my journey to become an OT, after passing that, that anatomy course, I feel like I can do anything. I feel like, it really opened up a whole horizon yeah. in terms of my cognitive capacity. I was like, man, that, that was such a difficult course that I went through and I was able to, uh, you know, did an awesome job in, at the end of the day. If I can do that, I don't, I don't think anything could be too complicated for me to comprehend. And that's how I feel about a stock market. You know, obviously it's more, more complicated than just looking at charts, a bunch of numbers in the companies. There's a lot more to that. You got to analyze the market behavior. And, you know, it's where I know you're a big poker player yourself, right? I think there's a lot of um, similarities between poker and, and the market, the stock market. You know, you talk about the bank, the bankroll management, mm-hmm. you know, like the bankroll management. What are they? You know, making decisions based on your bankroll, right? Um, you know, reading the table, uh, the poker yeah. table. So instead of reading the table, you're reading the investors. Like, what are the investors doing? Like, for example, you're doing a short-term play, Right. That's all this hype. So you have to be realistic. Okay, I know this is, even though I might not believe in this yeah. company, I might, I might invest for just like a day. Because <laughs> I, I know, you know, based on the behavior of the market, of the investors, I know this thing's going to jump maybe 15%, 20% in a day. So I'll go in, you know, when the market opens, I'll buy in, let's say $1,000, whatever it is. And I'll cash out. I'm disciplined enough to cash out by the end of the day. I think that's very difficult to do. Once, once you have a like a 20% gain for that one stock. The human nature is to keep that stock. Why, why, why the hell would you cash out then, right? And so for me, having that discipline to cash out at the yeah, 20%. Yeah. And sometimes, a lot of times, you know, I look at it the next day, it jumps another 15%. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't you, you can drill on that because you know, mm-hmm. you know, the downside would be you might have lost all of that the next day. People would take profit, they sell off. And that's what I mean, you know, with the being able to read the market structure and, how people behave. It's very similar to poker, you know, how people, you know, do the batting patterns, you know, what, what, what money they're willing to risk and at which point are they willing yeah. to fold, right? I, I think it's so, there's so many parallels. And we also talked about taking the bad beats in poker, right? Just weathering the storm. Sometimes, you know, in, in the stocks and I have experienced this, yeah. you know, I pretty much made every single right play and I still lost a bunch of money. And you, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be able to know how to yeah. take the loss and just move on, shift your money to somewhere else. Um, and I think uh, as a poker player, I, I was more of a, what do you call it? Like a small ball. I, I play small ball. I, I play the small pots. You know, I, I just kind of hit and run. I, <laughs> I, I collect a small pot here. I, I come and go so that people don't really notice. But then over time, a long period of time, I, I, I build up my stack. I, I build up my bankroll. And that's kind of how I approach uh, stocks too. You know, I also have uh, companies that I believe in that 
I just keep the money in there long term. I know it's going to grow. Uh, I believe in it. I'm all in on it and a relatively low risk. Yeah. Whereas uh, the more medium to high risk, you know, you talk about it's talking into the penny stocks. You know, I'm in and out. You know, I, I, I'm not going to try to predict the top. I'm not going to try to predict the bottom. As long as I swing somewhere in between, uh, I think I'll be all right. You mentioned um, how poker is very synonymous with the stock market and also investments. And I totally agree with you in the sense that I think poker, if you first played poker growing up, you kind of understand the whole thing about bankroll management, like you mentioned. You understand the whole concept of um, taking calculated risk. And you also understand that even if you go all in on on a favorite, like say with pocket aces, sometimes you're, if you're facing pocket Kings, for example, um, there you're still, what you're still only like an 80% Mm -hmm. favorite. So 20% of the time you're going to lose. And I think that concept really applies to um, investors um, there in, in a sense that they understand that you will sometimes lose, even if you made the right move. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy that you mentioned the parallels, you know, between the game of poker and also stock investing, because I feel that, you know, a lot of a lot of the game is being able to take losses. Mm-hmm. And in poker, for example, the cash game player, they could lose as much as 45 percent of the time, up to 45 to 50 percent of the time. So half the time they have to deal with losing. Um, here. So in terms of stock market um, exchanges, are investors, are people, are they, you know, they're thinking about going into the stock market. Are they, are they comfortable with say losing money? Are they comfortable with taking risks? You know, and if you're not, then maybe you should be more well-educated like what you have done, you know, educating yourself through videos, through um, various other types of sources and being able to kind of understand risk and understand the whole content itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, and you know, if, to be honest, even though a lot of people consider the stock market to be gambling, I don't really see it that way. I think um, for sure, you know, that's a lot more downside to poker, right? Yeah. Poker is just like one hand, you can lose it all. Whereas uh, mm-hmm. I see investing uh, these companies that you believe in and actually being part of that company now of course if you you know zoom out zoom out the map and look at the long term there are you know many stock market crashes you know last year being one of them right back in 08 right you have to know that a hundred percent of the time the market always recovers if you look at the s&p 500 right if you look at most of these index funds a hundred percent of the time it recovers uh, especially us as a young person, you know, even if the, the stock market crash, you know, it's going to bounce back overall. Um, you know, unless it depends who you talk to, right. Unless you're somebody like my parents who are about to retire, you know, they, they would not be in a position to make that risk because you know, what, what money do they have to lose now? Like, like they, they don't have the money to lose. They have to keep every yeah. penny, try to keep every penny because uh, yeah. they don't have time to uh, sit around to wait for it to recover. Where you know us, us younger folks, you know we we have the uh, luxury, and still be right. able, and still be able to buy at a discount, you know, 
just like with the pandemic. That's why everybody got into investing this past year. You can, you know, close your eyes and pick a stock and it will go up. Right. It's like, but, 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 you know, part of the danger of that is like, because everybody was winning, it gives you like a false sense of confidence. Oh man, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, in the green in every single stock, this is so easy. You know, this is like, why don't people do this more? And I'll be honest, you know, I felt that way a little bit. And then I, um, you know, and a couple of stocks did not, did not continue an upward trend. I just kept it and kept it. And I made a mistake of not taking profit and, you know, what goes up must come down. And I lost thousands like that. And so that was, that was an expensive lesson, but one I'll never forget, <laughs> you know, I think be greedy, but be, be cautiously greedy. You know what I mean? You have to be able to like, look at some point you got to have an exit plan. I think that that's the hardest part for many young investors, you know, not having that exit plan. Right. And yeah. I think that's also very similar to poker, right? You know, especially you talk about cash games, like the ring games, you know, you yeah. sit at a table for what, seven, eight hours and you up and up, you up maybe a hundred percent, 200 percent. And human nature, when you, when you have such an upper trend, the last thing you're thinking about is cashing up. Right. But, you know, as we know yeah. in the game of uh, Texas Hold'em, the variance the numbers are going to be against you. It's only going to come back down, just like the stock market. And so you have to take profit, even though, yeah, you have to pay taxes. But when you're making that much money, you can't, you can't complain about paying taxes, okay? <laughs> Especially yeah. such a passive income like, like, like stock market. You know, this is, I wouldn't say easy money just because you, like, you, you have to do your research. You, I, I spend a lot of time. You know, I do my eight, nine-hour shifts at work. I come home and uh, first thing I do, I go online <laughs> I research every stock, how, how they perform that day. And then yeah. well, what's the plan for tomorrow? I have a whole notebook just writing down all the ones, all the plays I'm going to make the next day. So it's not, I, I guess I couldn't really call it like completely like a, it's not like a complete passive income just because I'm putting in work. I'm putting in hours at a time, you know, trying to research just, just so, you know, I don't lose my money. Cause, cause remember, you know, this, this money is for my day job. You know, money that I work my 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 butt off for. You know, I don't want to lose my hard earned money. Right. I want to make sure I make the right place. <clears throat> so awesome. Um, let's kind of talk about uh, another subject here. And you know, we've seen a lot of people kind of migrate from California, the state of California, to other states just because of you know various reasons. You know, it could be because of the high income tax that comes from living in the Bay area or in Southern California or any other parts of California, actually, mm -hmm. um, you know, living expenses, you know, economy, things like that. Do you have like a certain take on, um, you know, why more and more people are moving from Cali to, to Texas? And is this something that you would maybe recommend people to do or something that you've considered yourself? Uh, definitely do consider myself. I've been considering Texas for a long, long time, actually. And it just so happened that, you know, my schooling was in LA and then I got lined up with a pretty yeah. good job here. Right. Um, but the good thing about me as an OT, there's so many opportunities out there. You know, my, my particular uh, hospital, you know, it's under a corporation where they're nationwide and they actually do have a branch in Texas. And that's, oh. that's something that I'm keeping my mind open, you know, and I actually took uh, multiple trips down to Houston. In Houston, I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, 
they have this uh, place called the uh, the Texas Medical Center, and it's literally uh, think of it like, like downtown SF, right? The financial district, all the tall buildings, all the skyscrapers. So the Texas Medical Center, it's like that, but it's all hospitals. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. You walk around, everybody's wearing scrubs or lab coats. Um, the whole entire section of that downtown is uh, many different well-known hospitals too. You know, may I add? Uh, some of them, some of the most uh, prestigious, you know, research institutes are out there. And my company, you know, has a pretty good uh, branch of a rehab hospital right there. And so, and I did my research as an OT and I was surprised because you, as you know, you know, the cost of living in Texas is only a fraction of the, the cost, probably, you know, four, three to four times less than California. If you, if you yeah. live in San Francisco or LA, right. But surprisingly, the, in terms of the salary, it's really not all that different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I looked at some on salary.com, you know, the medium, you know, the median salary for an OT in Cali is uh, about a hundred thousand. The median salary in Texas is about 99,000. But, but, yeah. but this is before taxes. Okay. Mike, like, you got to factor in the fact that consider the taxes, right? Yeah. We, we don't have the, in Texas, you don't have the 9.3% uh, income tax. I think is what it is in Texas. Right. So if you do the math, actually as an OT in the same experience that I have right now, as an OT in Texas, I'll actually be banking $8,000 more annually per year. <laughs> so yeah. if you factor in, you know, paying way less for, for a mortgage, and all the other living expenses that that just, that just blows my mind right it's almost like i don't see why i'm st- i don't see why i'm still here <laughs> i really question myself every day like what am i doing here you know and- so you have you have considered it pretty um you've actually really highly considered it um uh, for yourself and um i guess um you know with uh with your family too mm-hmm. in terms of okay maybe these are the pros and cons between moving from Cali to Texas here. Um, some of the pros that we've mentioned, you know, no income tax for current residents um, in Texas, lower cost of living and expenses. Um, you know, you, we could even um, mention that the, the winter weather is even mild <laughs> over there in Texas as well. Do you see any cons at all, disadvantages of moving to Texas as opposed to living in California? I'm sure you've you put together a pros and cons list yourself yeah. here before making it before kind of considering this decision. I think the, the weather, <laughs> the weather has got to be a big one. I'm a little bit, a uh, little mm. bit uh, nervous about the weather in the summertime, you know, they get a lot of uh, storms, really humid weather. It's like scorching heat in, in the, in the summertime. Um, yeah. And then um, also, I don't know. I couldn't think of that many cons besides the weather and also maybe the diversity in terms of, cause for me, I like to uh, go to all the different restaurants in LA. Literally you can, yeah. you can pick a country yeah. and go to that cuisine <laughs> that night, <laughs> especially when you, particularly when you talk about Asian foods, right? You're not going to have that kind of diversity out there, but, but let's not forget Houston in particular. They're the, the fourth largest metropolitan city in the United States. And so they're up and coming. They have a big Vietnamese population out there out in the Bel Air, mm-hmm. a pretty good Chinese population there too. I think it's only going to keep growing. Um, and so I think, uh, I don't know what people think of Texas that they've never been, but I've been there a couple of times to know that, you know, there's a lot of activities to do, um, you know, 
compared maybe not like in LA, but compared to like a the Bay Area, for example, it, it might be actually be more busy than the Bay Area, you know. And so, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about you know having a uh, not anything to do in terms of activities. Uh, but my thinking is that the money that I'm going to save in the long run that gives me a lot of freedom to travel because one of the things I like to do is travel, anyways. Not 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 just to stay yeah. around America, but also worldwide international travel you know whenever this pandemic is, <laughs> comes to an end um and so i, I see more upside in anything uh, i think that that's my opinion and I, you see a lot of younger folks moving out there too because i think they're seeing the benefits mainly the financial benefits because let's, let's be real a lot of us our age unless you're making you know like dot com money right unless you're making mm-hmm. you know, like a celebrity or something in LA. <laughs> you're not going to be able to afford a house, a single family home, unless you do something drastic, such as you do a lot of trading, right. And then be real consistently yeah. successful at it. Just having a, even having a dual income, just having a day job. It's not enough. Yep. It's not enough. Yeah. And that's why I try to tell people, do the math, sit down and really seriously think about like, what is the plan? You know, I, I think even though, you know, the position that I'm at, I'm probably going to be able to afford a single family home. I feel like I'm going to be house poor. That's how I feel. I don't want to be paying the mortgage forever and then yeah. not have enough money to spend on things that matter, right? You know, mm-hmm. the saying, you know, you spend so hard to work at a job, right? To pay for the mortgage for a house that you never even home <laughs> to get to enjoy. So what is the point? At the end of the day, well, why? Why are you doing all this? It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it has to be like that. You know, they they call Cali, they always say what the, the, the good weather tax, right? Yeah, I, mean, I get it. But at a certain point, it's not worth it. You know, everybody's got to make their own assessment. They, they got to talk to financial advisor and they, they, they got to make a make a concrete plan in, in terms of what they can afford. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, they're just very comfortable living living in Cali or whichever state they are in so that they fail to maybe assess living in another state such as Texas um, here. But, you know, I think my advice to people out there would be, you know, if you're on the fence or you're thinking about it, it doesn't hurt to take a visit for a few days um, over to a city like Houston or Austin, Texas, for example, Mm -hmm. and just to kind of get a sense you know, of how the environment is like, what the culture is like um, there. And, you know, maybe you will, you would go there and you'll fall in love with the place. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you'll, you'll come back and decide, okay, maybe living in California is where I want to be for the rest of my life. But at the same time, I think people need to go out there and, you know, visit themselves. Yeah. Just kind of get get that sense and experience the uh, the southern hospitality and that's something that i can't i can't yep. even explain you know just uh, walking down the streets this random stranger would just talk to you i thought it was the weirdest thing because i didn't grow up with that 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 kind of uh culture yeah. you know i'm just waiting in line for my food and the guy next to me just starts chatting it up i think i guess they can tell i wasn't from there he's like, oh where are you from you know he's <laughs> oh you're from california that's cool you know let's just strike up a conversation you know, you drive down a neighborhood, random people just wave, wave at you. I was like, who's that? <laughs> I don't even know this person. But it's like, that's just how it is. That, that's the culture out there. You know, some of the nicest people I met ever that they're from Texas. I highly encourage everybody to take a trip and just check it out. 
Yeah, so the verdict right now, Rocky, is it's still pending? Or yeah, I'm in a a pretty uh, mixed (laughs) situation because I love my job. I love my coworkers, and uh, my coworkers are really my family. And uh, I'm in a situation now, Mike, that, you know, I don't feel like I'm dragging my feet to go to work. Like I never, I never yeah. be at a job where I felt this way. You know, every Monday I look forward to to you know <laughs> going back to work. For that reason, I don't, awesome. I haven't taken, a, haven't taken a vacation all year. I mean, with the pandemic, there's nowhere to wow. go. I know some of my coworkers took yeah. some time off just to be on their own. But for me, I'd rather be at work. You know, to just make making a difference. Um, and money can't buy that. It's a, it's not just about the money. It's about that satisfaction. That job satisfaction is pretty, pretty rank, pretty high for me. And so, and I understand that, um, this is not something I, I should take for granted because, you know, I, I had coworkers that moved on and relocated and they, they all tell me the same thing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's nothing like, you know, the unit that we have, the, the, the collective, uh, yeah. family that we have, you know, and in hospital that I'm at. Yeah. That's also pretty, that's pretty important too, is, uh, do you love like the people that you surround yourself with mm-hmm. um, here? And this applies both, you know, to work and also your personal life um, there. So it's just something that people should, you know, highly consider yeah. in terms of overall happiness. Yeah. Well, you spend so much time at work. You think about the hours that you commit at work, eight or nine hours a day, you know, you spend more time at work than, you know, with your spouse or with your family. And so the people that you work with, you have to get along with them and, if they are like your extended family, that's even better. That's something that that's yeah. very valuable. You know, I don't take it for granted, you know, for, for one second. So, yeah. All right. So let's uh, kind of conclude our, um, our show. I'm going to kind of go through a rapid fire question right. round here with you, Rocky. That's, it's kind of just a, a fun little segment in which I will ask you, about uh, six rapid fire questions and you would have to answer it in eight seconds or less. Okay. <laughs> so you, up to eight seconds and uh, once it approaches eight seconds, I'm going to be like, time's up, time's up. You got to answer. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, fairly simple. Uh, just off the top of your mind here and we'll start now. First question for you, Rocky, when you're not working, how do you like to spend your time? Um, Eight seconds. Cooking, cooking, uh, just looking up new recipes and uh, try to become, a, you know, like a wannabe chef, I guess, you will, if you will. <laughs> awesome. What is uh, one of your favorite cuisines that you like uh, to I would say Thai food. I spent a lot of time, you know, <laughs> a couple of times in Thailand and I just love all the herbs, all the spices. Uh, I'm a spicy food kind of person. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. Second question for you. Describe your life using one word. Uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> all the ups and downs and, yeah. um, you know, all the roller coaster of emotions. I think that's the yin and the yang. Take the good with the bad. Uh, I don't regret anything. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Third question would be, if you're a celebrity rapper, what would be your name? <laughs> I guess Rocksteady. That's one of my nicknames. <laughs> People call me Rocksteady. <laughs> I guess that's a pretty cool name. Nice. Is there a reason behind the Rocksteady um, name itself? Is there some sort of, uh, I guess, um, meaning behind behind it? Or is it because you're a steady? 
You're a steady dude? Or? <laughs> I guess you, I wouldn't call myself a steady dude. I think I could be pretty wild, uh, <laughs> despite what people think of me. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no, no particular reason. Okay. All right. Next question. Um, if all of a sudden you had like a child right now, <laughs> today, what career do you hope they would pursue? Oh, that's an interesting one. I mean, you know, the textbook answer would be like, you know, do what you love, you know, but I would tell them, don't, don't be dumb. Just do something with finance, make a lot of money. And then after that, you, you can do whatever okay. you want. <laughs> and then conversely, the next question, what career would you not want them to pursue? Well, what I don't want them to pursue, uh, gosh, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, this is where I'm kind of Americanized in one way. Uh, I would tell them, hey, 18, I'm kicking you out of the house, so... <laughs> Whatever you choose, if you don't make yeah. money, you're on your own. That, that, that. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I might not discourage you from doing <laughs> it, but you got to figure it out on your own. <laughs> All right, good answer. And then last question is: What is your favorite alcohol beverage? Uh, definitely, um, I've been getting into a lot of scotch whiskey. Okay. Um, just uh, I like to try to drink it. Anything I can drink neat <laughs> on the glass. I try to, uh, you know, take an appreciation and learn more about that. The whiskey culture. I think um, when the, this whole thing opens, <laughs> I want to spend some time in Scotland and try to visit some of the breweries or some of the distilleries, if mm -hmm. you will. Yeah, so your uh, palate has definitely um, definitely grown since the college right. days, you know, when we used to kind of drink, um, you know, cheap liquor and 40 and Mickey's, uh, MD2020, <laughs> those days are over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. You know, that wraps up uh, this week's episode. Where is one place people can find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, you know, Probably. I actually don't have a website right now, but uh, maybe in the future, okay. I'll set something up. Okay. If someone wanted to maybe uh, chat with you or they wanted to uh, kind of see how you're doing um is there maybe like a social media outlet uh, i or? do have a linkedin account uh if you search a uh, rocky pang last name p-a-p-a-n-g okay you know they can uh, look okay. at my profile haven't really updated my resume too much <laughs> but uh if anybody is in the healthcare field or would like to connect to do any projects you know related to what i do you know or just to uh just meet a new friend just to chat about medicine and uh, occupational therapy i'm all for it Awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show um, this week, Rocky, and just uh, kind of telling your story, um, your journey of talking about vulnerability and failure and just uh, and just being an overall, um, you know, very good, good friend and good person um, here. And, you know, it's just uh, just grateful that, you know, that you've been a part of my life and and able to kind of um, guide me and some of our friends too. So um, thanks again. Mike, thank you for this uh, opportunity. And it's been an honor being on, to be your first guest on your show. And I uh, wish you luck uh, from here on out. All right, man. Well, uh, you know, take care. And, uh, you know, hopefully after this pandemic is over, you know, we can, uh, you know, grab a drink or hang yes, out absolutely. sometime. All right. So that concludes the show for today. Take care, everyone.